Romans chapter 5. Just as we did last week, I'm basically just going to do a running commentary through this chapter. But this, in this chapter of Romans, Paul is drawing together what he's already stated and what's going to be laid out. What he has already stated, and the book of Romans actually opens by laying out our two principal problems as fallen people in a fallen world. Number one, I hope this is not too shocking to you or news news to you, but you are a sinner. That is your nature left to yourself, all because of what our brother Brandon mentioned to us about the fall of man. We all died in Adam. We were in Adam choosing to disobey God. Choosing, they only had one possibility for sin. Don't eat that fruit of which you have never tasted. You don't know what it's going to taste like. It's not like you have some internal. It was simply don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you eat of it, you will surely. Literally in Hebrew, it's dying, you will die. It's as emphatic as possible. And Eve ate of the fruit, and she didn't keel over dead. Oh, let me have a bite of that. Suddenly their eyes were opened. Oh, no. Oh, no. But remember, Adam and Eve were one creation. And when Adam joined Eve, they were as this one creation, suddenly in rebellion against God, they were in sin, and Adam all die. And as Paul will point out to us, in Christ, all shall be made alive. And what did God say to the serpent? I will draw a seed from the woman. He will bruise your head. And you will bruise his heel. Well, a head bruise to a serpent is a killing blow. A heel blow, that can be pretty debilitating, pretty painful, but it's not typically lethal. Jesus went to the cross, paid sin's penalty for us, thus breaking Satan's legal hold. Breaking that hold. And then Jesus rose from the dead. He paid sin's penalty for us. He ra- and he rose from the dead. What Jesus experienced on the cross, even in eternity, we will never be able to put our arms around the depth of what he went through because he is God the Son paying sin's debt for the human race. Owed it would take us an eternity to pay back. What do we find here? Paul lays out two principal problems in the opening portion of Romans. We are sinners. Number two, we stand condemned before God. And then he solves problem two first. And the solution word to problem two, our standing condemned before the holy God, the solution word is the word justification or being made righteous. 
And those are English translations. It's all the same word in Greek that Paul is writing in. We have been moved from this, the place of condemnation before the holy God to a place of welcome, glad, gladness in his presence. He's put his arms around us. He has completely dealt with the issue of the guilt of our sin. Jesus paid it all, as we're going to close this worship service with. Jesus paid it all. The word to tell us thy, it is finished, spoken out from the cross, meant paid in full in both the court system and the marketplace. He had paid off our sin debt, thus giving his father complete glad freedom to embrace us and to welcome us. Paul has laid that out before us in these opening chapters of Romans. Now here in chapter 5, he is still focused on that, but he's moving us on to the next issue. Okay, I find out that nasty truth when I come to faith in Christ. About 30, within about 30 seconds, I just, oh, wait, I still have this fallen sinful bent towards sin. Yuck. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? Uh, 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 uh. There is a solution to that also. Therefore, having been justified by faith, I move from a place of condemnation before God to a place where I am justified. I stand just before the just and holy God. I, st I have a standing of holiness before the holy God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The conflict that had been between ourselves and the holy God is now set aside and replaced with a glad welcome, an open invitation that we have received that benefit uh, and we have that ticket to step into his welcoming presence and that ticket is the gospel. And we hear the message, God the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the message and personal embrace of the message by the help of the Holy Spirit and we discover ourselves to have a welcome in the presence of the holy God. We stand just before the just God, holy before the holy God, righteous before the righteous God. Having been justified by faith, our sole role is faith. All of the work has been done by Jesus. I just hold out an empty hand. That's how much faith I need. Please, may I, God, receive that benefit. And the, only, the one inciting you to ask is God himself has tracked you down. Earlier we quoted James chapter 1. The Holy Spirit through James Penn says it is of his, God's own will, that he brought us forth by the word of truth. The one who pursued you and me was God himself. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of the conflict that had formerly been there has been swept away. And in fact, we have been given a positive standing with God. A positive standing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also 
This is where Paul is moving us on to the next issue, through whom also we have access by faith. Again, our sole role is holding out the empty hand. Through whom also we have access to what? Into God's presence. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in a place where we're receiving gift, 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 grace, 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 provision, provision, provision. All of this is being met. And by the way, has God the Holy Spirit been reinforcing that in this congregation? Just earlier I read from Isaiah 57, the words of the Holy Spirit through the pen of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus' birth. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. What is their true place of abode? My presence. What do you need to bring to the party? A contrite and humble spirit. And I revive the heart of the contrite ones. Just this last Friday night, God the Holy Spirit shepherded the entire conversation. I hadn't planned on this. I just opened my Bible to Psalm 27, started reading, and everything that was stated, I would then read the next few verses of Psalm 27, and it would capture what had already been stated What is stated in Psalm 27 by David a thousand years before Jesus' coming? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, present tense, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, (coughs) he will hide me in his pavilion. What is my true place of residence? The presence of God in all of who he is and all of his provision. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me and set me high upon a rock. And what is the Holy Spirit saying through Paul's pen in Romans? We have, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's where we abide. My wife has this ladies' Bible study that just started last Saturday, Sunday night. On what? Abiding. How to dwell in, abide in the reality of who our God is. God isn't afraid to say the same message more than once <laughs> through several different venues and people through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, this consistent 
full provision of God in which we stand. This is where we reside and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In this verse, Paul has captured the beginning, the middle, and the end of the entire plan. That's He, he redeemed us out of our place of condemnation. He's given us a present place to stand where his, he meets our needs fully. He is present with us. We are present with him. And there is a plan to come. There is a kingdom glory that we will be stepping into. In that verse, Paul captures the entire plan. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, now this is where it gets really startling, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Paul. Whoa. (laughs) We glory in trials. We glory in tribulations. We glory in testing. We glory in pain. We glory... Why would, because God will make out of it outrageous blessing. Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is saying, Father, if it be possible, pass this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And as he is praying that prayer, his blood pressure is so high, the capillaries are bursting. And mixing, the blood is mixing with his sweat. Jesus knows, as no one else can know, the pain that awaits him. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And what did God make out of that? Jesus rose from the dead. All authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. He ascended into heaven. He is coming. He is going to make all these things promises come true. And I too, like Jesus, got, and I really appreciate the fact that God never minimizes our pain. He never just says to David in all of his pain, he never says to his son, he never says to anyone else enduring testing, just get over it. No. He is with us in the pain. He never minimizes it. But he does attach a promise to it. The day is coming when you will be able to turn around and say, as bad as it was, it was worth it. It was worth it. Because the glory he will create out of it will more than overwhelm the pain that we endured. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance. You have to test someone. We have a coach here who knows you have to go through the physical. If you're going to be able to compete as a basketball player, a football player, any other kind of athletic, you've got to go through the training. And the training is not just twiddling your thumbs. It can be very, very rigorous, painful training. But it produces, and the athlete is motivated by 
the outcome that's coming in. We just prayed earlier for Tom's grandson, who is a an athlete who has undergone the regimen. Is he now receiving the benefit for having cooperated with that process? He is now receiving the benefit, and there's more to come. That's always on the other. God never puts us through a regimen without fulfilling the promise. Tribulation produces perseverance, the ability to endure perseverance, character, which is consistent. A person with character is someone who is consistent in the face of their tests. Character and character, hope. There is a positive expectation awaiting. And the the great positive expectation, if you are an authentic saint of God, you're going to step into the presence of God and He's going to pour out rewards on you that you're going to be shocked. Well, Lord, yeah, that was a real test, but aren't you, don't you think you're really overdoing the blessing, the, the reward here? The God will say, oh no, I love it. That's one of the reasons why he has to take our fallen nature away from us so he won't, won't spoil us when we get into his presence. You're going to be getting a lot of sugar. <laughs> and he doesn't want to mess us. So he's got to take that fallen nature and make us able to withstand the blessing. So overwhelming would the blessing be. That's the hope. That's the expectation. And now hope does not disappoint. We won't get there and say, well, really? That was it? No, that those words will not be coming out of anybody. Now, hope does not disappoint. We know that disappointment does not awake, await us. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. How has God already gifted us? He has already gifted us by sending his son to pay sin's penalty for us on the cross, thus stepping us into a place where we stand just before the just and holy God. He also has granted to us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the triunity has taken up residence within us. We reside in God, and God the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us. What more powerful proof could there be to you and to me that God is serious about his promise-keeping? Have I not granted to you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Everything after that, folks, is pocket change. It'll be glory, but we've already got the greatest glory. It could be ours at the present time, and that's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Love, hope does not disappoint because the love of God. How much does God love us? He loved us so much that he sent his son to pay sin's penalty for us. He also loved us so much that he granted us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God couldn't be giving us any more powerful proofs that he loves us and is fully, 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 fully committed to us 
in this hostile environment, in this place of difficulty, and part of that hostile environment, by the way, resides in us too. We still have a fallen nature. Yikes. But the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is more powerful than that indwelling devil's advocate called our fallen nature. For when we were, the Holy Spirit's been given to us, that gives us great hope. For when we were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. When we had absolutely no capability of solving the problem, of finding a welcome with God, Christ died for the ungodly. We were as unlike God as we could possibly be. We had the stench of Satan all about us. And Christ paid sin's penalty for us on the cross. When we were still without strength in due time at the point of need, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. You know what? We just had this horrible tragedy in Uvalde. And what is the cause of the consternation now? The people who didn't step forward and do their duty to defend the defenseless. And the great grief, well, finally, someone did charge in and defend the defenseless and set those children free who are still in jeopardy. When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Or even for a defenseless child, you might dare to die for that defenseless child. We all have that expectation. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, as unlike him, and deserving of hell as we could possibly be, Christ died for us. And we step back and say, Lord, me? Me? I've literally had people say to me, when I've shared the gospel with them and how God is willing to welcome sinners of every kind. I've literally had people say to me, oh, you don't know what I've done. And they disqualified themselves from mercy in their own minds because they couldn't imagine that God could love them and make a sacrifice for them. They had accepted Satan's words of condemnation as the final word about them. And I still grieve when I think back to those conversations because it wasn't true. Christ died for sinners. People as unlike him as he could possibly be, Christ died for us much more than, much more than having now been justified, finding a welcome in his presence by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
By the way, the temptation here is something I had to really work on this last. The wrath here is not the future wrath of the lake of fire that he's talking about. He's talking about the present wrath of their life experience that could justly come to them if they were not forgiven. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, the consequence of our sin through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved, delivered, What did he say earlier? We shall be saved from wrath through him. Now he says we shall be saved by his life. We don't have to walk in the reality of the receiving the just results of our sin, not only in the eternal sense, but also in the present. You know what? Let me tell you something. If you don't sin, if you are so strengthened in the presence of God the Holy Spirit in you, that you don't sin, that wrath that would have come to you or that you are seeing poured out on all those around you won't be your experience. He will save us from the consequence of sin by walking, but by our walking in the power of the God the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. For if by his blood, by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved from what? The consequences of sin in the immediate sense. By his life, by his present provision, by his life. Jesus, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I have granted you, God, the Holy Spirit. And as what Paul is going to lay out and unfold before us is the two principal provisions that enable us to walk in him and not in ourselves, not in the world, not in the flesh, not in the devil, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is our advocate at the right hand of the Father. Matthew 10, I have quoted it over and over again. I'm going to keep quoting it over and over again. Please get the Jesus says to the apostles, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you, my disciples, keep your lips zipped for me, I'll keep my lips zipped for you. Oh, you don't want that. You don't want that. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, by his present ministry for us. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, the full, unrestrained welcome in God's presence. We have been reconciled with the Holy God. Therefore, just as one Through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay, folks, 
we're getting on to a next big chunk. And last week, I abused you. And uh, I went longer than usual. This week, I'm going to bless you. You've already got enough to get your mind and heart wrapped around. (laughs) What did the Holy Spirit say to us? You have a welcome with my Father, with the Father, God the Father, because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You also reside in Him. You dwell in Him. And He resides in you. You have all of Heaven's grace, all of Heaven's resources available to you. And even God the Holy Spirit dwells within you to break sin. So He is that residing empowerment energy that enables you to stiff arm in reality your own fallen nature ladies and gentlemen let's dwell in that truth as we dwell in him and he dwells in us let us dwell in that truth this week this is the understanding that gives us consistent victory in this hostile environment we dwell in. And we will pick up with the second half of Romans chapter 5. Can I hear an amen? And all God's people said, amen. All right, so I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer and then the closing chorus. Our Lord, there is no way any honest, fallen, sinful human being could have ever imagined what you did. Righteousness demanded that we reside in the lake of fire forever and ever, and instead you created redemption. You sent your son to pay sin's penalty for us. You've made every provision for us to walk in your presence. We dwell dwell in heaven as well as here. And you reside, your Holy Spirit resides in us. We're, we dwell in you and you dwell in us. We've got every provision. We are asking that you en- would enable everyone who is here to receive further understanding of this truth in the week to come and even more powerful. Lay hold of us with this truth, we ask, that we might walk in it and we might see fruit for your kingdom in and through us in the week to come. We ask this of you, good shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.